And this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 as we consider this idea of left behind. There was a grandfather who called his son's house and he got his grandson on the phone, his little four-year-old grandson, Timmy. And Timmy answered the phone in kind of a hushed voice. He said, hello. Uh, he said, uh, Timmy, this is Grandpa. Can I, can I, talk, to, can I talk to Daddy? No, he can't talk right now. He's busy. And I uh, said, okay, well, um, he's busy. Could I, could I talk to Mommy? Would that be if I could talk to Mommy? No, she's, she's busy too. He said, well, I, I need to talk with them. Are, are they too busy to come to the phone? Well, Daddy's talking to the policeman, and Mommy's talking to the fireman, so they can't talk to you right now. And, and clearly, in a panic, the, the, the grandfather says, the, the police and the fireman, what, what's going on? What's happening at your house? And uh, young Timmy began to giggle a little bit, and he said, they're looking for me. <laughs> which leads me to this question, <laughs> which I know you're going, how on earth is he going to connect this to anything at all? Is it easy for people around me to find Jesus? Is it easy for people who are outside of faith in Christ, who are, uh, who are maybe wondering about their spiritual lives, uh, most Americans consider themselves very spiritual, whether they uh, kind of register themselves as an official Christian or Muslim or Buddhist. Uh, the vast majority of people in our culture, in our day, in our generation, consider themselves very spiritual. Could they find Jesus in me, through me, my life, my conversation? Or would it appear that he's hiding somewhere and very difficult to be found? I think that's the question that uh, begins to be answered in the first chapter of Acts. We're going to be looking at engaging with our culture this winter and spring, and how do different people in the book of Acts consider the folks around them and understand what might be the best way to approach the conversation. But before I venture out into some of the topics that Brad and, and Nathan Mosier have already covered this month, I want to come back and say it isn't just a question of understanding information. It isn't just the fact that I may know if someone were to come to me and say, hey, could you tell me about Jesus, that I could open up my Bible and share some verses with them or maybe recall from memory some verses. It's not just knowing the information. In fact, that's not really my concern this morning. My concern this morning is, do I understand and do you understand our role on earth as Jesus defines it? That's key, the last part of that sentence. Do we understand our role? If we're a disciple of Jesus this morning, if you're here and you say, I'm a follower, he's my Lord, he's my Savior, uh, you may be here this morning and that isn't your, your statement, but you're here exploring that, we're very happy to have you. We're thankful that you're with us and you're, and you're considering these things uh, along with us. But if you have taken that step of faith, do you understand, do I understand our role, not as we would choose to define it, but as Jesus does? That's really the question that we want to consider this morning. Because if we understand our role, then engaging with our culture becomes something that is very natural. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, uh, also wrote the book of Acts, wrote it to the same guy, a Greek guy named Theophilus, who's a very young Christian. And in the book of Luke, he's talked to him about Jesus and his earthly ministry. And the book of Acts, he's going to talk to Theophilus about how the, how the early church got started, how it... How it uh, got its genesis. And so we're going to start right at the very beginning. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about 
the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said. You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Is this the culmination? We've won. We're good. You're going you're gonna to kind of bring all of heaven and earth together now, right? It's kind of this culmination. That's the question they're asking there. But Jesus says to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we come to uh, your word this morning as we've worshipped you in song, as we've worshipped you in in prayer, and Lord, uh, prior to worshiping you through the, the celebration of your Lord's Supper, uh, we come to worship you with our minds, with our emotions, with our intellect. Father, we, uh, many of us confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. And for those of us who, who, are, uh, who are so self-identified this morning, perhaps for the first time or perhaps as a reminder, we will be looking at what Jesus thinks about how we should spend our time, what our, what our role is. Father, we wear many different hats, uh, husbands, uh, father, um, teacher, lawyer, doctor, mom, grandmother. Lord, we, we identify ourselves in so many different ways. Help us understand the foundation of how you see our role. Lord, for those this morning that are here and, and they're questioning or wondering or considering the faith, uh, maybe someone's invited them. Maybe they just thought it might be time and the stage of life to, to check out some of these things. Lord, I pray that they would see your heart this morning, not, not my words, not Green Tree Community Church, but, Father, that they would see the compassion and the mercy and the grace of God in this understanding that Jesus has of that to which he has called us, that it is actually for their benefit, for their good. Lord Jesus, what I have to say is not important. I'm just one more person. We hear the words of men and women all week long. We are limited in our scope of understanding, and therefore in what we could teach or not teach. Lord, it is your eternal truth and eternal word that stands forever, and is that for which we pray this morning. Lord, don't let me stand in the way of what we would learn, what we would understand. Forgive my sin, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me give you a real quick uh, background, a real quick context of where we're kind of picking up the events in the life of Jesus in this first chapter of Acts. Because we're only going to be here just this morning, then we'll be moving on to subsequent chapters. The, the context of this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples is in the context of his risen new life, victorious over the cross. One of the things that is absolutely essential uh, to the Christian faith is that Jesus is the living, risen Lord and Savior. That he's not just living in our memories, not just living in our minds after he gave himself on the cross, but that the physical human man, Jesus, got out of the grave after he'd been crucified. And so Luke starts off with that most important uh, understanding that Jesus is risen and he is giving many proofs, appearing to these disciples over 40 days. So for well over a month, 
Jesus spending time speaking to his people about the kingdom of God. Jesus is risen. He is engaging with his disciples. He is proving that he is resurrected. You don't have to be a doubting Thomas. Our name gets dragged through the mud for all those Toms out there. Uh, Many of his apostles wondered. And until they saw him and spent time with him, they weren't certain. And I would imagine even if you saw the risen Jesus, that would be quite a shock. Because I've never seen anybody who fits that description, risen. I've had plenty of folks I know who have passed away, whether family members or friends or or folks in the Green Tree congregation. I I know people who who have gone on to be with the Lord, but I haven't seen them again. And if I told you I had, you would be worried for me. So you can imagine the disciples kind of going, are you, know, can, are you sure it's him? And so Jesus doesn't just kind of rush in and say, guys, it's all good to go see you. He spends 40 days helping to make sure that they have the foundation of faith in their lives. But not only that, he's also giving them instructions. He tells them to wait for the promise of the Father. You've heard from me, and he repeats something he said earlier. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is giving some final instructions. But I'll put a picture on the screen, and, and maybe a lot of you will recognize this picture if you've studied history or uh, even if, if you're old enough, and maybe there may be some uh, in this room even that, that served in Europe during World War II. But the gentleman kind of center left is Dwight D. Eisenhower when he was commanding the forces immediately prior to the Normandy invasion, to D-Day, that we now call June the 6th, 1944. This was late in the evening on June the 5th. And the men gathered around Eisenhower are the, some of the men of the 101st Airborne Division. Not, not the officers, not the colonels and the majors. There, there may be some officers in that picture, but these are, these are the privates and the sergeants. These are the everyday citizen soldiers who are getting ready to go on what would be for many of them their, their first and last mission. Many of them died within 24 hours of that picture being taken. But one of uh, Eisenhower's uh, press officers who was with him talked about the emotion of that moment. And how Eisenhower was just telling them how thankful he was for their sacrifice and how much he appreciated uh, them being willing to go into battle and how they kind of joked to some of the guys said, hey, General, you got the 101st guys taken care of it. Don't worry about it. But just how in awe they were of him and how his just stopping by to spend some time with them. And And he stayed in this type of conversation around this camp for about two hours just trying to encourage these men to kind of give last minute instructions. And here is Jesus spending the time with his troops, so to speak, with his guys, saying to them, I'm going to be going away, and I want to make sure you understand what comes next. That's the context of this conversation. So what was important to Jesus during these 40 days? Why does he stay, knowing that his disciples are going to be left behind, so to speak? What are the key principles? What are the key things that he wanted those men to know, that first generation of Christians? And is it still a message for you and for me? Is the message that Jesus gives to these guys on this particular occasion a message for us this morning as his followers? I believe it is. The first thing Jesus wants us to know is what we don't need to know. Uh, So if there's a negative side to the coin, so to speak, the first thing he helps us understand in these verses is that knowing God's timing for the big picture, for kind of how all everything's going to come to culmination, uh, some of us would call that maybe the second coming of Jesus uh, or, or the final return of Jesus and the establishment of the new heavens and the new earth. The disciples are interested, you know, when, what's the timing of all this? Is it now? 
Um, and, and, you know, if I were standing there, I would hope it would be. Now, I, I would hope we could move right into glory. That would be just fine with me. But Jesus says there's something that you guys don't need to know. And it's God's timing in those matters. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. This is interesting to me because I, every Christian generation from that generation to our generation, I believe, has been inordinately obsessed with when Jesus will return. It, it becomes in every generation a key talking point. You cannot find a generation of Christians that have not written extensively on when they believe Jesus will come back. Every generation of Christians has believed it's been in their day, and many have all, literally volumes. And in our day, there, there are literally thousands of articles. There are songs that are sung about when Jesus is going to come back. There, there, there are novels that have been written. The, the whole idea of the, of the sermon title, Left Behind, comes from Tim LaHaye's series, which was turned into a movie series about the second coming of Jesus. And we spend all of this time and all of this energy and, all, and money to boot on trying to find out the answer to a question that Jesus said you don't need to know. Now, friends, I have no problem with sitting down and having a cup of coffee and talking about uh, what the Lord teaches us about what will happen before he comes back. I did my doctoral work in Revelation. But when Jesus says you don't need to know, we need to understand that, that that's fine, that that's okay. We need to take that on faith. Again, it's fine to, to have these conversations, but, but to be obsessed and, and hour after hour and anxiousness over the idea that we've just got to figure out when it's going to be when Jesus says, don't even bother to go down that road. Some might object and say, well, go to a passage like Matthew 24 and look at everything that Jesus says about the kind of the sign of the end times. Again, I'd be happy to sit and talk with you about that, but if you look at that passage carefully and you study it carefully, Jesus gives them certain pieces of information, and then he says, you do not know, you will not know, but be busy about the work of the kingdom. Blessed is the one whose master finds him at work when he returns. I can't remember which summer in college it was, but I worked for a landscaper one summer in college. And uh, we were in the process of putting in some sprinkler systems in, in yards around West County. And our boss, the, the guy that owned it, went, went out of town for about four or five days. I don't know if he took his family out of town on vacation or whatever. But I was working with this other guy, and we had one yard that we were supposed to get done that week. And we're supposed to trench it out, you know, like about, I think about 12 inches deep. We had this whole trencher, lay all the hose, get it right up to the end. So it was all ready for them to put on the nozzles and hook the, hook the electronic switches up too. So it'd be ready when the boss got back. Well, you know how hot it can be in July in St. Louis. And, you know, I'm 20 years old. I mean, for a 20-year-old to work every day in the hot blazing sun is exhausting. And I, you know, we just, my buddy and I felt like we really kind of needed a personal day. You know, just to kind of rest and to recharge our, our batteries. And the boss was out of town anyway, right? It didn't, didn't really matter. And we knew when he was coming back, he was coming back in like four days. And so, you know, we took a personal day and a half-ish, something like that. And uh, imagine our surprise when we came back to work that morning and there our boss was standing in the middle of that yard. Came back a little earlier than we expected. Now I ask you, would it, be better, would it have been better for us to dwell on the time of his coming or on doing what we were called to do? She says, when I come, it's all taken care of. You don't need to worry about it. It's guaranteed. You can take that to the bank. Don't obsess over the wind. The Father's not going to tell you. It's on a need-to-know basis. You don't need to know. 
And in faith, we need to say, yes, Lord. But then where does we go with that? What is the busyness? What is the work of the kingdom? What it, what is it to which Jesus has called us? And if knowing God's timing is not for us, then what is? And I would say then the, the, the second half of the conversation is knowing our role. That's what is important, and that's what Jesus spends time addressing. So we're going to be busy. What or and or how are we going to be busy? I want to talk about the how first. Jesus reminds his apostles, he reminds us again this morning, when you become my disciple, when, when, when you put your faith in me, and I have left this planet, something supernatural is going to happen. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And we know that after Jesus ascended into heaven, we have what we call the day of Pentecost. You can read about it in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes in power on this group of Christians. And Scripture is very clear going forward that every believer in Jesus is saved by the power of the Holy Spirit and is indwelled by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot more to the conversation than that. But what's important for us this morning to note is that our confidence, our trust, any boldness that we have to represent Christ is not based on our ability to put the right words together. It's not based upon us kind of being brave people, but rather it's based on the fact that God empowers his people for that to which he has called them. How are we to be in our role? We're to be in our role through the power of the Holy Spirit. But what is to take our time? What is, what, is, what is it that which we are to spend our energies and our efforts and our resources for, right? You'll receive power. Why? You will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and even to Kirkwood, Missouri in 2013, to the ends of the earth. We are called to be witnesses, just like you go in a courtroom. I've never had to be a witness in a trial, but I watched a lot of Perry Mason when I was growing up. And everybody said, you know, put your hand on the Bible and you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, right? And then you bear witness. You give you, you share witness. You tell the truth. Did you see this happen on this date? Did my client say this? Did you, you know, whatever the evidence might be. And, and you give a witness. That's the same word that Jesus is using. You're going to testify. You're going to be on trial for my name. You are going, the way you live and the way you speak, you're going to give witness to the risen, living Savior and Lord. Your life, your words, your message, your, your marriages, your interaction with your children, the way you go about your business, how you conduct yourself, all should point to the gracious and merciful God and His only Son, the Lord Jesus, who came to take away the sins of the world. I'm not going to put these verses up on the screen, but I'm going, to, I'm going to read them to you very quickly. Three chapters over in Acts chapter 4, Peter is standing in front of a group of religious leaders. And they're upset with them because they are testifying, they're bearing witness to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And, he, and he's in the middle of his conversation with them. And he says this, he's, he's, they're, they're confronting Peter because he healed a guy. And the guy that's been healed is standing right next to him. And he says, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is a testimony. That is testifying in the court of human interaction. And it is that 
to which God has called all of his disciples. Um, everybody knows that I'm a Kirkwood guy and that I get gung-ho about Kirkwood and, you know, Turkey Day and all the, all the tradition and all the, and all the fun stuff. If I'm still living in Kirkwood in 2019, there will have been somebody from my family living in Kirkwood for 100 years. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. So, yeah, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of the whole Red Kirkwood thing. Well, Friday night, I'm, I'm, I'm in bed. It's like 1030 at night, and a text starts going off on my, on my cell phone. I'm like, oh, this can't be good news. Everybody knows I fall asleep like at 930. I'm, I'm getting old, and, and I pick up the look. It's from Drew Smith, who's one of our elders, and I'm going, oh, my goodness, what's going on? And I start to get this, like, five emails about how I'm all Kirkwood and da 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 but his daughter's on the Whitfield girls basketball team and they're just leaving where Kirkwood and Whitfield played and Whitfield beat Kirkwood. Really? <laughs> and Drew was in the first service. He was sitting right where you're sitting, Brant. I kind of fussed at him a little bit. But I'm like, okay, I guess I deserve that because I'm always blabbing my mouth about Kirkwood. Well, guess what? Wouldn't it be great if people were like, oh, you know, there's those folks from Green Tree. They're going to tell you about Jesus. Not in a rude way, not in an obnoxious way. Not going to take our Bible and beat people up with it. But you know what? If you're around those folks at all, you're going to see in their lives and you're going to hear in their words, they're going to be blabbing about Jesus. They're going to be bearing witness. That's to what we've been called. We're not left behind to idly speculate about how long or who might come or when they might come and uh, what's the judgment going to look like and you know who's in, who's out. Rather, We've been left behind to speak of God's salvation and his grace and his mercy. We've been left behind not to be hard to find, but to intentionally share him with others. That is the sum and substance of the teaching this morning, but I want to ask a question briefly. What are the hindrances and what are the helps? If that's our role, if, if it is that to which Jesus calls us to be my witnesses wherever we find ourselves, what stops us from doing that or what what? can be a challenging for us. I'm going to just list a few things. I'm not going to spend too much time on any one of them. Charles Hummel, a few years ago, wrote a book, wrote a book called The Tyranny of the Urgent. He was writing to leaders, and he was talking about how you get you know, kind of hard-pressed from every side. you gotta, you got to go to the grocery store, and you gotta, you got to you know, make sure you remember to pick up the laundry and got to get the kids to the ball, you know, and everything's kind of rushing around, and i got this deadline with this project my boss wants me to get, in, and it's, everything's urgent, and his whole point of his book is what's important. Stop for a second and figure out what's important and let that drive you instead of just kind of what's, what's right at the very moment. And I think for us as, as disciples, we live in this world and this culture and we're, we are impacted by it. We're very, very busy people. Our, our kids are out of the house now. Our youngest is a junior in college. We kind of laugh and say every night's Friday night at the Riggs household. You know, we're, not, we're not rushing around to ball games, so to speak, but we're still incredibly busy at, at, as well. I think at times we, we get so enmeshed in the temporal, we forget that our number one priority is to be a witness. Secondly, sometimes I think our, our sphere of influence is a bit too small. We're, we're not necessarily asking the question, who do I know that doesn't know Jesus? If I'm surrounded only with people who know Christ, maybe I need to kind of broaden it a little bit. Uh, the other day, I took a prescription in the new uh, drugstore on, uh, on the corner of Monroe and Kirkwood Road, right across the street from Spencer's. Uh, just up the street from the office, and I'm like, you know, I do, you know, here's my Kirkwood deal. I want to do business at Kirkwood, so I take a prescription there. And then I had a little bit of a cold, and you maybe see here I still have a little bit of. I stood there and talked to the pharmacist for like ten minutes on the benefits, the the way and the pros and the cons of Theraflu and Nyquil. <laughs> and and I talked to him literally for about ten minutes, and I ended up buying the Nyquil. 
Two days later, I'm in Spencer's, and I'm eating breakfast, and Mary, the new owner, comes up to me, and I'm sitting in the back, and it's kind of quiet, and she goes, Tom, but everybody's talking about the new property. Everybody's so excited about Green Tree. You know, when do you think you're going to break ground? And then, you know, going on and on. It's really cool. And I said, well, you know, Mary, you know, they can go to our website and ask questions. She goes, well, the pharmacist so-and-so from next door, the new guy was just in here yesterday. And he was going on about, wasn't this great and wasn't this awesome? And I'm thinking, I stood there 10 minutes and I talked to the guy and I didn't say a word about Jesus to him. And she goes, he is so excited. I'm thinking, oh, maybe he's a really strong Christian. He's so excited that a, that a CVS is not going to be built across the street from him. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and I'm smiling, I'm talking, and I'm so ashamed. I was like, really, Tom? It's not, again, it's not like I'm going to you know, wear this on my sleeve, so to speak, and everywhere I go, I'm, I'm just going to be obnoxious to people. But do I care about their souls? Is my sphere of influence such that that's one of the thoughts that crosses my mind? And, you know, is there a way that I can point this person to Christ? I think the reason I misstepped there sometimes is because of this third hindrance. It's not enough time with Jesus, just learning to see the world through his eyes. Sitting and reading the word of God. Not because I want to cross off some boxes that I had in my devotional. Just because I'd like to look at a little bit more like Jesus. I'd like to think a little bit more like Jesus. I like to approach people. A little bit more like Jesus approaches people. I won't do that if I don't spend time letting him rub off on me. Instead, I'll have more of a castle and not a kingdom mentality. I'll be more worried about kind of keeping what's mine safe and comfortable, and it'll be more of an us versus them than it is uh, uh, just an, an unapologetic and hopefully kind, wanting others to know Christ. One of the other things that I, that I realize can be a challenge for is kind of leave it to the professional Christians. And by that, I mean, you know, Green Trees, like every other church, we have staff members. We, we have a, a good, healthy number of staff members, and I think it would be easy to say, you know, oh, the staff will get to that. And yet I believe that Jesus has called every one of us to be his witness. Well, if those are the hindrances, let's not end on that. Real quickly, what are the helps? What do we see in this passage or just other things that maybe have helped us first? And that probably the first one should be in big, bold, and five times as big as all the other points up there, the power that God has given us to be his witnesses. To, to share the gospel with others, to do so with kindness and with compassion, but also with, with a confidence because he is the one who is strengthening us for the task. The second thing is that the instructions are not ambiguous. Be my witnesses. Three words. I can get my mind around that. I, I've told you about, you know, Cindy looking at, at my Facebook page and saying, you know, how come there aren't any pictures of you and me in the wedding? And I'm like, I don't know because I don't put the pictures on my Facebook page. I don't know how they got there. She's like, well, well, who puts them on? I don't know. Maybe Katie. Maybe Mindy Owens. I don't even know how the face. I don't even know how I got a Facebook page in the in the in the first place. I just went there one day and it was there, and then I kind of and okay. So those of you that know, I'm gonna go down a side road here for a second. So you want to comment on something that somebody says. So you hit the comment button and you type in the box. You put your little message. Like my daughter Katie's always saying, "Oh, it's raining in Hawaii today. It's kind of depressing, right?" And I'm like, we don't really care. Keep that opinion to yourself. It's 12 degrees here. Well, then, where, how do you get it to actually comment? And I'm 20 minutes, and finally somebody walks in and goes, oh, look, push enter. Really? Man, I'm dumb. <laughs> this isn't tough. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't even Facebook tough. Be my witnesses. I can understand that. I also need to be encouraged that there are no shortage of listeners. 
there are plenty of people who don't know Christ that need his mercy and his grace in their lives. They might not be asking questions yet. It might be that my life lived out in front of them, your life lived out in front of them for a week, a month, five years, ten, who knows, is, is how God's going to start to work in their lives. But we live in a day and age where many consider themselves spiritual and fewer and fewer are putting their faith in Christ. There's no shortage, even in our little area of Kirkwood, Glendale, Webster, you know, this little area of St. Louis, there's no shortage of people who need to hear Jesus. And, and, and really, for our purposes this morning, time's not up. <laughs> Jesus hasn't come back yet. I was in the office about three weeks ago, and we were meeting someplace else, and we weren't meeting until like 8.30 and 8.45, and I was the only one that didn't get the memo. And so I'm sitting in my office all by myself on a weekday, and nobody's coming in or out, and I'm like, ooh, did Jesus come back? And I, I, I missed something, you know, and, and it's really bad theology to think that way. Um, but time isn't up yet. Jesus hasn't coming back. It's still today. I don't know how long it'll be today. Might be till 3 o'clock this afternoon. Might be for another 700 years. I don't need to know. What I need to know is that Jesus has called me to be his witness. He's called you as a disciple to be his witness. If you are somebody that's visiting this morning and you don't have faith in Christ, watch us, please, and see if there might be something in our lives that would reflect the message of the gospel of grace. And by God's power, you, you will see that. Not because we're great people. We're really a mess. But by God's grace, you will see that, that there is a new life that's in us because we've received this grace, this mercy, and it's our desire to share it with you. It really comes down to this question. Will Jesus be hard to find through those of us at Green Tree Community Church or easy? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your eternal word. I thank you for the truth that you gave to your disciples the, through the Lord Jesus that we don't need to concern ourselves with specifics of time and when and where, but rather concern ourselves with those who are lost. Concern ourselves with being in a relationship with Jesus that we can share with others to testify through our words, our actions, our attitudes to any who may come across our path. That Jesus is Lord and Savior, that God is merciful and gracious, and that they too can experience salvation in him. Lord Jesus, make us faithful to our role and trust you for the timing of all things. We pray in your name. Amen.